that we would hear your word to us as it is, speaks directly and it challenges us. And if we're honest, Lord, it unsettles us. Help us to hear. Because in it is still the promise of your goodness, your grace, and our opportunity to be the people you've called us to be. Speak to us now in these moments. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it was a few years ago, a young man from New Hampshire, a high school student, uh, did what a lot of high school athletes will attempt to do at some point or another in their lifetime, both men and women, boys and girls. And that is, he was out playing basketball with his friends, and he decided he was going to try to dunk it. As I said, most of us have tried it. Most of us don't come close. But every once in a while, there's a few of you out here that, that have been able to do that in your, in your um, athletic experiences. So he went up and he tried to dunk a basketball. And I don't know that he was successful in getting the ball through the hoop. The account I read didn't actually specify whether he could get that high. But what he was successful in doing, if you want to point it that way or paint it that way, is catching his front two teeth on the net. And um, he came down without them. And, and you know, lusty, very, and I'm not making, that's, that's a tough experience. That's a, that's a tough thing to happen. And, you know, nobody would wish that on, on anybody. But I think most of us would, would hear that kind of story if it was our kids or if it us. It would certainly be unpleasant. It would be something we wouldn't want to have to face. But we'd kind of chalk that up as, you know, sports, as life, as, you know, sometimes weird things happen and unfortunate things happen, and we do our best to, to do what needs to be done and move on. Well, that wasn't quite the case for this young man and his parents. They decided to sue the manufacturer of the basketball net, as if there should have been some warning about the possibility that this could have happened. What's more, as is often the case, the manufacturer decided to settle the case, and the young man was awarded $50,000 um, for his troubles. That plays into a trend that most of us are familiar with, and that is what we might call um, frivolous lawsuits. The lawsuits that are brought, the, the case that seems to be the genesis of, of this movement that at least a lot of us think about when we think about of frivolous lawsuits was the one years ago of the woman who spilled the coffee in her lap and then sued McDonald's and, and made a lot of money for injuries. When we'd say, well, is that really the fault of McDonald's? Is that really the fault of, of, the, of the net maker? There was one in, in Florida about 15 years ago. A, um, a man from Ireland, he and his girlfriend came to Florida. They rented a car from Dollar Rent-A-Car. Now, it, it ended tragically. He ended up getting drunk and driving drunk they were in an accident, she was killed, and, and please don't hear me making light of that. That's a tragic um, experience, it's a tragic, tragic thing that happened. But he ended up suing Dollar Rental Car, and this was his grounds. Because he was from Ireland, and he was Irish, Dollar should have known the propensity for his people to visit pubs and to drink excessively. Now, if you're Irish, please don't be offended. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just telling you that was his grounds. And he sued Dollar Rental Car for that. Um, and I don't think he won. I couldn't find how it, I can't, dear Lord, please tell me he didn't win. I don't know how it ended. It ended with him in jail is how it ended. But, um, but again, this, we're not to blame, you're to blame. And, and this is, you know what, I, I was thinking about this. Christy actually gave me this really good idea. 
I, um, this, this past week, I um, tried to start getting back in a routine of exercise. I haven't been exercising for a few months, so I started getting back in it, and I'm really hurting today. I, if I'm seriously, my legs are shot. I was praying in the first service, I was telling them, you know, we, we, ha- we do prayer a little different at each service, and we have this moment of silent prayer, and I said, I know you all think that I'm up here deep in you know, very spiritual prayer, and I was just praying that my knees didn't buckle and I fell off the stage. Um, but Christy gave me a great idea. There's no warning. I, I use the weights. The why doesn't warn me about this. I could sue them. Maybe I can make some money. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of silliness. I mean, that kind of, you. what's that? Yeah, should I sit down? I can't get that low to the ground right now. I'm not bending down. It's like, that's as far as I'm going right there. Um, but, uh, but the real is, you know, we hear this and, and we laugh and sometimes we cringe and, and it's, this, it's this, you know, let's blame, blame game kind of thing. Okay, it's had a, a counter effect. And that is, it's led to the, the other side of the coin, which is the ridiculous warning labels that we read on everything now. And we've talked about this in the past, the, the fact that irons have a warning label on them that says, do not iron your clothes while you're wearing them. Really? Uh, there's a warning label. I went and, and did some more digging, looking for some new ones I hadn't seen. On strollers, on strollers that say, the fold-up strollers that say, remove child before folding. <laughs> if you need that, you might not want to procreate. Um, there, there's, a, there's on chainsaws sometimes, there's... Uh, an illustration that says, don't grab it this way, and it shows a hand grabbing the blade in motion. Who does that? You know, who needs to be warned about these things? Scrubbing bubbles that we use to, to, in your showers or your bathtubs, it says, don't use for body wash. Uh, the, the, the flushable, yeah, think about it. The flushable toilet brushes, they have the ones that, you know, you can flush. It says, do not use for personal hygiene. Yeah, yeah, think about it. I mean, you, there, there's tons of these kind of examples. Let me see if there's any I've forgotten that I wanted to bring up. Um, oh, my, my favorite, on a fuel cap. On a fuel cap, do not check fuel lo- levels using a match or an open flame. <laughs> now, we could go on. There's tons of these kind of examples. Well, well why? Are they doing that because they're really wanting to, to warn us of dangers? No. Because if you're going to do any of those things, you're probably not reading the warning labels anyway. Manufacturers do that because they're, going to, they're covering their own backside. Because they know that if somebody does do something ridiculously out of line with their product, if somebody does something that most of us would say is beyond the realm of common sense, like lighting a match and checking a fuel level, or grabbing a moving chainsaw by the blade, or folding up your kid in your car seat, um, that they could be sued. So they, so they balance it. And so what we have is we have this kind of constant back and forth of customers versus manufacturers, users versus makers, that kind of a thing. You know, who's at fault? When something goes wrong, who's at fault? Is it a default? And sometimes it is faulty and default of merchandise. That does happen. But very often, it's the fault of the end user. Now. I start with all of that because I want that image in your head as we revisit Isaiah's text. As we revisit this this love song about the vineyard owner and the vineyard because that is essentially what's going on. There's a a case, if you will. In fact, 
in verse 3, he says, I bring this case to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah. And, and the case is by the owner of the vineyard. And this is what he says. I bought fertile vineyard. I bought a, a good ground, fertile soil. I planted it well. I nurtured it. I watered it. I planted good seed. And it produced bad fruit. And the case that he's making to the people is, who is at fault? Who is at fault? Who is at fault when the parent lets the child crawl into a dishwasher to play in it? Who's at fault when the person grabs the hairdryer and uses it in the bathtub? You know, th these kinds of things. Who's at fault? Is it the one who made it or the one who misused it? And that's, that what God, that's what the vineyard, he's saying, am I at fault? I planted good seed, I toiled, I, I fertilized the ground, I did everything right, and it produced bad fruit. And he obviously probably made the connection, and it's made at the end of the verses, that this is an illustration the prophet's using of God's case against his people. The, the, the fruit is the failure of his people, or the lack of fruit is the lack of the failure of his people. God is saying, I have nurtured you. I have provided for you. I have instilled within you the values and the, the compassion and the love that I've called you to live. And you, I've done everything for you to help you produce good fruit, and you have produced bad fruit. And who is at fault? And the obvious answer is the people are. The prophet is saying, you are to blame because you have failed to be who God's called you to be. Now, when I was growing up, we would go, and I've talked about this before, we'd go almost every summer to Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, visit my grandparents. My grandfather, for many, many years, had a big, you pick it, berry farm, a big farm, blueberries, uh, raspberries, blackberries. We loved going up there. And I would watch him when we'd be there for a week or two as he'd care for the farm, as he'd care for the plants, as he'd water, as he'd fertilize, as he'd nurture the ground. And he had beautiful plants. But he also had a greenhouse off to the side. And in that greenhouse is where he'd start to grow the young plants and he'd start to nurture them. And this is what he would do. He'd tend to the garden, if you will. And when he found a plant that didn't produce, when he found a plant that wasn't producing good fruit or wasn't producing any fruit, what did he do? Cut it out. Cut it out and replaced it. And if his entire garden, his entire vineyard, if you will, had failed to produce anything, he would have burned it down. That's the very direct and very harsh word that Isaiah says to the people. You have failed to produce good fruit. And this is what happens when you don't. Verse 5, now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars nor briars, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. He's saying to the people, you face judgment. You face the removal of God's blessings, which has sustained us as a nation, as a people, because of your failure to produce good fruit. And here's the truth of what God speaks to them. He says, that I have created you to administer justice, and you have leveled injustice. I have created you to be compassionate, and you have been harsh. I have called you to be selfless, and you have been selfish. I have called you to bear fruit, and you have been barren. I have 
called you to love and you've hated. I've called you to tell the truth and you've told lies. I've called you to live in the light and you have walked in the darkness. And accountability comes as a result of that. And the tough question for us when we read this, the hard question to ask when you read the prophets, Isaiah, Amos, Micah, is how are we bearing fruit? What with the judgment, what kind of a vineyard are we? Because that's why this is the challenge for us. That's why these words are captured in scriptures and why God's word has, has contained them and continues to speak through them because the Lord would ask us, what kind of a vineyard are we? What kind of fruit are we bearing? Are we living into the purpose that we're called for? That's the problem. God says, I created you for a purpose and you have misused it. You have not been what I've created you to be. You've not done what I've called you to do. The question is, how are we doing? Because it is not the fault of our maker. God has instilled in us everything we knew or we need to be fruitful. If we fail to be, the burden's on us. So what does it mean to be fruitful? Well, Isaiah and Amos and Micah talk about it over and over. You care for the orphans and the widows, those who are without the least and the less. Moses, you know the Ten Commandments. The ten, five of the commandments speak specifically to the way we relate to other people. Do not um, steal. Do not kill. Do not covet what your neighbor has. Be mindful of the way that you treat other people. I mean, that's, that's kind of a very broad brush of what those commandments are talking to. Put others before yourself. Over and over, the Scriptures attest to this, and Jesus attests to it. He goes into the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers. Why? Because they were taking advantage of the people. They knew that people were coming in need of sacrifices, to need to do, to do the things that they felt called to do to be faithful. And there were those who were seeking to profit from them, to, to make a burden, put, put their profit as a burden on the back of those who had the least to give. And Jesus said, you will not turn my father's house into a den of thieves because they were not living out the love that God had called them to. In Matthew 23, 23, he challenges the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites, you tithe, you give, you look good, but you have forgotten the heart of the law. You have forgotten compassion. You have forgotten justice. You have forgotten faithfulness. You're doing everything right on the outside, and in the heart it's corrupt, because you're not living faith. You're not bearing fruit. That becomes the question for us. Because the, the reality is very harsh. God's blessings get withdrawn from his people when they fail to bear fruit. God's blessings get withdrawn from us when our lives become self-centered and self-focused. And it is such an easy trap to fall into. But here's the truth. We're not called to be a country club. If you believe the call of the church is to cater to you, you have missed the call of the faith called to meet the needs of others. Sometimes that means we meet each other's needs. There are times each of us in this room need others to lean on. That's okay. But when you expect to be catered to, then who's bearing fruit? Who's reaching others? Who's living that love? That's who we're called to be. So the hard question, how are we doing? How are we doing? I think in some ways, some places we could say we're doing well, but I know this to be true. There's always more. There's more for each of us to live into. 
And here's the good news, because this is a harsh text, and it sounds very hopeless. It sounds very, very hopeless. But understand the intention of the prophet. God's word, God's judgment, God's hand on his people is never meant to cut them off totally, but to pull them back into faithfulness. The truth of the gospel is, see, God never gives up on his people. That's the truth of the entire um, arc of the Old and New Testament, especially in the Old Testament, where the people are constantly being unfaithful, where they're constantly doing the very thing. I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, it's mind-numbing, because over and over it says this, God tells them not to do it, they say, okay, we won't do it, and then they go and do it. That, that's, that, there's, there's the Old Testament in a nutshell. God says, be faithful, okay, we'll be faithful, we're not going to be faithful. Over and over and over again. But here's the hope. God doesn't quit on them. God never quits on them. He gets angry with them. There's accountability. There is judgment. But God doesn't quit. He continues over and over through the prophets to implore his people back because he loves his people. In Psalm 145, it says he is slow to anger and abounding in love. He has a boundless amount of love and patience with us. So the good news is God didn't quit. We're not at a point where we've passed to the point of no return. You never will. But return we're still called to. God has made us to be the instruments of his good work. To look like Jesus. I mean, it's as simple and as powerful and as difficult as that. We're called to look like Jesus. How we doing? How you doing? How am I doing? That's the question to ask. Because the prophet gives a warning. When we fail to bear fruit, we will be cut off. We will have the hand of God's blessing withdrawn. And God will put it on those who will be his fruit bearers. God will bless others. But let's keep ourselves faithful. Let's hear those warnings so that we can be a part of that work. We can be a part of his vineyard. And we can bear good fruit. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we would pray that you, Lord, would challenge us today. It would challenge us to be about the work that you've called us to be, to be the people you've called us to be, to love as you've called us to love. That is the example of Christ, and that's who we follow. May we be found faithful. We pray in Jesus. Amen.